Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. First of all, I want you to have a think about what you would leave the comfort of your bed for the early hours of the morning for. Yeah, I'm presuming, as Gabby's reaction, I'm presuming for most of us it's actually quite a short list. When I go and visit my family who live up in the Lake Lake District, I love to leave early at like 6am because the ring road is dead empty then and uh, yeah, quite enjoy the the lonely drive. Um, And then I also, I love to walk around St Peter's Square on an early Saturday morning before the rest of Manchester has woken up. Oh, there's like Christmases and birthdays. I definitely have a kind of seize the day mentality with those, and I like to wake up early and make the most of it. And one thing, without fail, that will ensure you get up at an early hour is needing to be at the airport for 5 a.m., let's be honest, which actually, guys, tomorrow morning will be my reality. Yeah, I'm going to set my alarm for 4 a.m. Most likely the alarm will go off. I'll sit bolt upright in my bed. I'll have a speedy shower. I'll trick my body into thinking it wants brown flakes at 4.30 a.m., which it won't. Um, And then I will go to the airport in my Uber, convinced of the fact that I've still left three hours, I will still miss my flight. Um, But tomorrow morning, I will prioritise getting to that airport above everything else, above food, above self-hygiene, my appearance. Like It will be easy to get out of bed because of the importance that getting up to the airport will hold for me. So as we're about to jump into this passage, I just want you to be asking yourselves, what do you get up early in the morning for? So today we're going to be finishing our short series on Mark 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 35 to 39. So if you want to open your Bibles, uh, the passage will also appear behind me, and then we'll jump right in. So yeah, Mark 1, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. I'm just going to pray before we get stuck in. Yeah, God, I just pray that You will be speaking to us through this passage this morning. God, I just pray your spirit would be among us as we go through it. Lord, I pray that you would, yeah, use the words that I prepared to to speak into our hearts and challenge us this morning. Amen. Amen. So, yeah, this morning from this passage, we're going to be asking ourselves three questions. So the first, as I mentioned, is what are you waking up for? The second is, are we bad at being alone? And the third is, where are you stepping out to? So from this passage, we see kind of one of the healthy habits of Jesus. And like I said, what are we really willing to rise early for? In the mix of everything else within Mark 1, it can be quite easy to brush over when you first read it, this passage, because it's quite small. Why do I know that? Because I did. Um, But there are no wasted words here. The book of Mark is often described as simple and succinct, getting to the point concisely. So even though we know this passage is small, it's important. So a little context around these verses. Julia's preached last week, bookended the passage, and she looked at Jesus' ministry and healing. And just before our passage, Jesus had been healing the sick, diseased, and demon-possessed all evening. And it said in verse 33, the whole town was at his door. 
his fame within Capernaum was at a height and people were becoming aware of who he was and what he was doing. His popularity was increasing. People would have been speaking his name, clambering to get to him, to see him, to touch him, to be prayed for by him. Then we see at the beginning of this passage, after all that excitement and action, Jesus just gets up early while it's still dark, finds a solitary place and prays. So firstly today, as I said, I want to be focusing on the, this like, healthy habit of Jesus. This passage isn't an anomaly within the Gospels. There are multiple passages within the New Testament where we see Jesus take himself off to pray and go and be with his father. Luke 5 verse 16 says, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. After feeding the 5,000 and just before walking on water in Matthew 14 verse 23, Jesus dismissed the disciples and he went up onto a mountainside by himself to pray. Or in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before he was about to be crucified, in Luke 22, verse 1, he withdrew from his disciples about a stone's throw behind them and knelt down and prayed. Jesus placed himself in solitary prayer at times of grief, when just after John the Baptist was killed, when preparing for a major task, heading to the wilderness before beginning his public ministry, and in distress before himself being crucified. And if we look at the life of Jesus, we see he had this balance of being in the community, in the crowd, on the streets, with the people, in homes, synagogues, the temple. He also found time for solitude with God. We see here in this passage that he gave his first moments of his day to his father. He could have rolled out of bed at half nine, gone straight to the crowd that we think would have probably been there at the door waiting for him and just been like, healed, healed, lame, walk, like rebuked, you know, and just done all the, all the wondrous miracles that he can do. But instead, he got up before anyone else while it was still dark, took himself away and spent it in humility in the presence of God in a place where the crowd weren't screaming his name. There was nothing demanded or expected of him in a place of peace with his father. How are we spending those first few moments of our days? I often wake up and I reach for my phone more out of habit than subconsciously prioritizing it. But what draw, like, truly draws us up in those early dark hours? Is it to pray or, like I mentioned earlier, do you only see those times of day when you're getting ready for an early flight? For some of the shift workers or students among us, the start of your day may look more like 3 p.m. or 10 p.m., but the principle still stands. I think the phrase, start as you mean to go on, fits quite well for this. We make time for the things we care about, whether it's friends or spouses or food, hobbies. If it's important to us, we carve out time for it. The the theologian Ronald Rollheiser says that prayer is relaxing into God's goodness, which to me sounds like a pretty good start of the day. Um, Jesus here, after quite a busy and demanding few days, chooses prayer over sleep. He also chooses solitude over people. I'm about to make a very sweeping statement, so I apologise in advance. But I think as a generation, we are really bad at being alone. And actually, solitude probably scares us a little. All the introverts here are all shaking your heads like, no, no, that's not true. But actually, maybe it's not the part like being alone part, but it's being still. Like, how good are you at being still? If you're neither bad at being alone or still, this preach isn't for you. Have a nice day. Uh, (laughs) But for the rest of us, um, myself included, um, now more than ever, because of technology, we are constantly connected with the world around us. But not only that, we're also constantly entertained. Like, could be reels or shorts or TikToks, instant gratification and entertainment, entertainment are always at our fingertips. Or podcasts. I'm spending 
I quite often spend a lot of the day working from home on loan, and so I will keep podcasts back-to-back playing for like a low-level buzz of entertainment to keep my mind like active while I do other work and tasks. But when we're not stilling ourselves regularly and coming into the presence of God, our appetite for God thins and our appetite for the world or whatever is at the end of our phone increases. The constant entertainment that it promises. In my... Um, I did ballet as a child. And uh, in my ballet classes as a kid, there used to be rumours that the more senior ballerinas would only eat cotton wool um, because it would supposedly fill them up but had no nutritional value or fat. So therefore, you wouldn't put on any weight. It would appease your hunger but retain nothing in your body. And I think we can fall into a real danger in this current age of looking at that quick, gratifying things of our era to feed our hunger but actually, like that cotton wool, they have no nutritional value or to our bodies or our souls. It, quil- it quickly fills us up for us just to feel empty again. But actually, when we feel that hunger, when we feel that longing for something more, we can look to the presence of God. In his book, A Hunger for God, John Piper puts it like this. He says, the greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It is not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world, which is a challenging quote. But (laughs) Jesus' appetite for heaven was renewed by being still before his father. Psalm 90 verse 14 declares, Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. While we don't know what Jesus was praying in those moments in the solitary place, I like to think it was probably something along these lines. Jesus, having withdrawn himself from the crowd, from the busyness and pressure, demonstrated that we should in turn, that that busyness and pressure should in turn drive us towards prayer, not away from it. How many of us feel that our quiet time suffers when we're busy? We love, as a nation, I think, to be busy. We, we thrive off it. I think you ask anyone, like, how their week's going, and they're like, busy, yeah, busy, busy. And you're like, how's yours? Like, hectic, hectic. And um, I think we're almost a bit proud of it, actually, as Brits. But Jesus had the whole city at his door. He was pretty busy, and yet he made time to withdraw and be alone with the Father. For some of us, we might struggle to be alone, to be still for that time. You've carved out time to sit and wait and you've heard nothing from God. It's felt disheartening. Or maybe you've stopped and then while you're sitting there, a full list of people that you need to message or email or jobs that you need to get done kind of start rushing into your head. I'd encourage you and myself here to just keep pushing on through that. Because looking at the reaction of the disciples in verse 37, they say, everyone is looking for you. And I think we can presume that Jesus probably was gone for a while. I think because we're so not used to solitude and silence and stillness in this day and age, there's almost like a 15-minute detoxing process where your mind just needs to be quiet and figure out how to slow down, how to put these worries, these stresses, emails down and just be still. Dave Lomas, who is a pastor at Reality Church in California, he says this about prayer. He says, it's about creating the emotional and spiritual space which allows Christ to build in us an inner sanctuary where we can commune with God, unite with God's will, and enjoy his presence. Now, I don't know about you, but this sounds like something that takes time. It takes slowness. It takes investment. It involves prioritizing and getting up early in the morning. But think of the payout building in us an inner sanctuary, community with God, enjoying his presence. These are all things that I want for my life. And this was Paul's prayer as well for the church. In Ephesians 
3, verse 16, he said, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. It says in James 4, come near to God and he will come near to you. These moments of solitude, these moments of quiet devotion, we open up ourselves to seeing more of the Father's heart. And just from a practical angle, I'd love for you to just close your eyes for a second and uh, just think of a place that you go to alone to be with God. Where is this place that you go and you sit, you stand, you walk, you kneel? Maybe it's a park near your house. Maybe it's a certain sofa or seat in your sitting room. Maybe it's the end of your bed, your car, your garden. Yeah, I just want you to imagine it in your mind. And imagine that quietness and that stillness. You can open your eyes again. These places, they can be our sanctuaries, the temples where we can meet with God. But we don't actually always have to physically be in them to be strengthened by them. As I just got you to close your eyes, we have this wonderful thing called our imagination. And as a community group, over the past six months or so, we've been going through Bible studies by using the Lectio Divina format, um, where you read the passage, you meditate on it, pray, and then you contemplate. And it's been a great tool to dig deeper into the passage. But one of my favorite parts is when we meditate on it and we imagine what it would be like to actually be there, to imagine the sounds of the city, the smells, the noises that would have been going on, what would have been like to firsthand hear Jesus speaking and telling parables. If you've got a vivid imagination like me, you can almost find yourself there pretty quickly. And actually, this is a tool that you can use in the busyness of life. Like, I just got you to imagine your sanctuary, your safe place with God. When your day feels overwhelming, when you've escaped to the office, to maybe the toilets for two minutes of peace, or when you're feeling overwhelmed, maybe in your housing situation with flatmates or family, or maybe you're actually physically sitting in a meeting on Zoom or in person that feels pressure-filled and demanding, just imagine that sanctuary that chair in your sitting room, that park, your garden, wherever it is that you commune with God. Imagine that place in your mind, pause, still, and then re-enter. Which leads me to my last question, where are you stepping out to? Jesus' withdrawing was always a step out, step out, (laughs) to step back in. (laughs) I'm sure we all know people who are either one way or the other, either they're so fully in the world and its ways of life, or they're on the other end of the spectrum and heavily in their Christian bubble, a little unaware of the world or people around them. But as Jesus outlines in John 17, we're not to be in, we're to be in the world, but not of it. John 17 verse 15 says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. The healthy Christian life lives in the balance of both. Jesus had the whole world at his door, and then he retreated to be alone with his father. Then having spent time with God, he sent back out to continue his work. Verse 38, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Like Jesus, we step out to be with God in the solitary place, 
then we enter back in, empowered by the Spirit, to a world that needs Jesus' light. For Jesus, he came from the solitary place, knowing more of what God wanted him to do, where he wanted to send him. And as I mentioned earlier, from 40 days in the desert, Jesus then began his ministry. From the prayers in the Garden of Gethsemane, he then went to the cross. I really love to challenge us today to reflect on what God is telling us in the quiet place to then take back into the loud busyness of life. In my life, God has often used the concept of restlessness for pushing me on to the next thing. The times where I've felt God move me or send me further afield is when I've suddenly felt a bit restless. You get that feeling of kind of itchy feet. And rather than part that passing after a day or two, which sometimes it does, it sticks around and I found myself to begin to plan practicalities and eventualities in my head. And for Jesus here in this passage, things were going well in Capernaum. He was gaining popularity and reputation, but God's plan wasn't for him to stay in one place, but to proclaim the gospel throughout Israel. So he moved on. He continued his ministry in the neighboring villages and throughout Galilee. God was moving Jesus on to something new, despite things going well. There can be the real danger that when things get comfortable and are going smoothly, to become move from kind of contentment, which is good, to passivity, where we become easily accustomed to our bubble and we're no longer stepping out. Earlier on in the year, a group of us headed to Milton Keynes for a conference called Project 23, which is happening again next year, first weekend of March. Um, and we had um, Andy McCullough, who's from the Unreached Network, speaking to us. And Unreached is a brilliant organization that equips, trains and sends out and supports missionaries to unreached areas in the world and to countries and people groups that have never heard of Jesus, And it was a really challenging talk. And if you're considering mission overseas, I would highly recommend going back and listening to it. You can find it on the broadcast podcast, another shameless plug. Um, but something that he said in the session that has just stayed with me, which is that we shouldn't be choosing to sink into the comfort of the British sofa, which is what a line. He said that, and I think the whole room went quiet. Um, and that's, that's the case for us. Are we sitting in the comfort of things going well and not getting up? Is God moving you on to a new place? We are a sent people and we are made for mission. The Great Commission, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, is how we go out sent with authority from Jesus. The mission of Jesus and therefore our mission is to spread the gospel to new people and places, to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. And for some of us, you will feel called to your local neighbourhood, to the community that surrounds you right now. But for some of us, maybe you will feel called to return to your motherland and minister there. For some, it will be a country or continent that you've never called home before. And as Jesus' followers today, we should be looking at how we reach the next place, the next person, the next people group, not just where we currently are. We are being sent out on mission for some of us that, again, like I said, will look like a fresh renewal into our workplaces. For others, it'll be a fresh renewal in our social settings. And for some of us, it'll be the world. All are a value to God. All are a means of spreading Jesus' fame further. And maybe for some people here today, you're thinking, ah, but you know, I'm not really that missional. That's not really who I am. Or like my job and career, they don't really, they don't lend themselves to mission. 
Well, take it from a girl who God told to study fashion that it really doesn't matter. Um, God can use whatever you have wherever you are. And an example of this, a few years ago, I was living in Cambodia for a stint after feeling God pushed me to go and work overseas. And this was just after I'd finished my degree and I had had nothing to do with fashion. God had broken my heart. I'd heard about this charity. He'd broken my heart for the work that that charity were doing. And uh, after a few nudges and prayers, I went. I was in an extremely poor and deprived area right on the Thai border. And I was with a team and we were doing a mix of English lessons because the the charity had a school, um, going into rural areas and giving out health supplies and helping out with church, like supporting the local church there as well. And after about two months of being there, I was just walking around the school grounds in one of my free periods, and there was a range of different kind of classrooms that were almost like concrete huts around the campus. And I was just walking past one of them, and I thought, I'm just going to look in the window and see what's what's in there. And these huts were often empty because they didn't have a lot of teachers, and so they didn't have the capacity to put the lessons on in there. But there was something different about this one. Instead of there being tables laid out, there were around 10 to 12 industrial sewing machines just sat there. And I couldn't believe my eyes because these machines had been there for the last two months and I had no idea about it. And these machines in the UK probably would have come to around about five grand in total. And some of them were the exact same models that I'd used during my degree at university. They were sitting there having not been used for years. And I found out from my boss that they'd been donated to the school a few years back, but um, the only teacher who knew how to give the lessons had left quite a while ago. And so a couple of weeks later, we managed to set up these sewing classes. We trained one of the local staff members on how to do it as well so the lessons could continue after we'd left. And I just remember being amazed at how God had had it all planned, basically. One of, I don't know if people know, but one of Cambodia's main exports is textiles as well. So these kind of skills would provide those kids with jobs, like, down the line. Not as kids. Don't agree with that. Uh, <laughs> firm believer that's not okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I had gone out there with no expectation. I felt God call me almost to two opposite missions, and yet somehow in the sweaty humidity of rural Cambodia, he'd woven the two together in a way that only he could. And this is what gives me faith, that if we follow God's nudges, however vast or local to mission, he's put you as uniquely individual you there for a purpose, whatever your training, whatever your career I'm a fair believer that God can work what you're passionate about, where your skills lie, into your mission for him. Ultimately, our drive for mission comes from communing with God. The purpose of our community with God in this quiet place is not so that we can store it up for ourselves, but so that we can then go out empowered and share it. What are we getting up for? Does the stillness scare us? Where are we being sent? These are all big, challenging questions. But we have a helper, ultimately. It says in Romans 8, verse 26, We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The Spirit is interceding for us when we don't know what to pray, where to go, when we're struggling to still ourselves The Holy Spirit is working in us to draw us closer to God, to strengthen us, to comfort us, and to send us out. 
It says in Psalm 16, verse 11, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God will make known to us our paths. He's written them in his book. But are we willing to draw away from the world to find that solitary place to sit and still ourselves before God to then be sent back out? 